Welcome back to another episode of I'm Fingers Pulling Things. Or, if it's your first time, welcome in general. It's nice that you join us on this triple film extravaganza as we talk about three new releasings where there will be dueling opinions aplenty. Um, I'm going to be Mr. Positivity. Uh, and <laughs> me is Mr. Negativity himself, Vaughn. Hi, Vaughn. That's true. I didn't think about... It's a, it's a rare rare times when when you're the one that's positive on something, but yeah, we're I, I guess we're gonna kind I of mean, alternate because there's I've got some positive oh, takes actually, and, yeah. and some negative takes as well. So yeah, true. But I'm an enthusiastical things, so you know I'm gonna. That's yes, that is your title out of the <laughs> two of that's, us. That's, that's what I'm known as. What I'm known as. Um, so first of all, for for the listeners' um, information, I am I am ridden with plague at the moment. The, the COVID has got me again for the third time. So if I have a sleepy energy on this show, that is why. So I'm my um excuses out of the way early so if i do not defend my beloved mind like <laughs> last dance as strongly as i would normally then no that is why and if i am you know kinder towards whatever direct infinity pool is then, then that is why. <laughs> um. <laughs> i'm saying i'm gonna say at the start right now that every movie that steven's going to mention in this episode he's given three stars <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's three three star movies, three movies, three stars. I'm gonna spread them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's three three star movies. Um, I they're, they're all pretty the same. I like one of them more than the others. And you know what? Okay, my, my, of the three, my favorite is Knock at the Cabin. Okay. My I... second favorite is Magic Mike's Last Dance. And that's my least favorite is Ball because it's not a record movie. That's crazy. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> it's just because it's not very good. Oh um, if God. it were better, I'd like it more. Um, which, you know, is how it goes. It's pretty good. It's just not very good. Um, so, should we start with, with Knocking at the Cabin? Sure. Let's start with yeah. M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin. So, I guess I'm curious what were your thoughts going into this? Um, my thoughts going in is my perpetual feeling about M. Night Shyamalan is I will keep watching movies that he makes because he's very good at making movies. He just, more often than not, makes bad movies, but makes them well. I'm usually not yeah. a kind of like separate technicalities from the wider film thing, because I feel like the film is its own thing, so you can't be like, it's well made, but it's crap. It's like, well, but it's but it's crap. But there is a certain element of craft of just like, if you like thinking about film, if you've like had film classes or taught any film there's just things he does with cameras that are intellectually enjoyable on like a pure crafts side of being like oh that was nice and that was nice so i like the way he puts a picture together yeah i, I think i mean he's not a bad director he just often he's has a very, very very good director he has very bad scripts that he's working with <laughs> is kind of i think what the problem is or directs to a strange end. Um, I'm well as as has been announced on a Stax podcast, which may or may not be up before this for those who cross their streams and listen to Stax and this. March <laughs> is of course March Night Shyamalan, um, where Jack and I are gonna, are gonna watch a bunch of M Night Shyamalan movies. Um, so I'm excited to fill in the blanks there. I'm, I'm I'm really excited to watch The Happening and Lady in the Water. I've not seen those. I haven't seen the happening either. I haven't seen a lot of the older Shyamalan stuff myself, um, but I can't say that I feel. That you like? <sighs> um, off the top of my head, nothing that I like. Love. I mean, when I saw it, I liked Split. I don't think that I would I've like still it not now. Seen Split because um, it looks distasteful. So I've avoided yeah, it for a long I, time. I think if I watched it now, I would probably not enjoy it as much. But at the time, I liked it. Um, I'm probably just forgetting a Shyamalan movie that I do like, but so I can't say that, that I'm like most a fan. Acclaimed. 
are Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, which are both movies I don't like very much. I don't dislike either of them. I think they're both kind of fine. Um, I really like The Village. Um, that's okay. his, his movie that I really, really enjoy. Um, that aside, I mean, I like Signs. I quite like Sixth Sense. I quite like Unbreakable, uh, but I'm not very passionate about those last two. But I do like Signs. And I do like The Village. Um, and obviously, I did not like Old at all. Um, oh. Knock at the Cabin is very much an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah. It's not just pure um, twist bait, which I think he got pigeonholed as, but I don't know if he was really ever kind of that. I feel that he was more than a twist filmmaker, but his get gets kind of like pigeonholed into being that. Um, what did you think of this movie? I really liked it. I wouldn't say I really liked it. I think it's pretty straight down the middle for me. Um, okay. I... I mean, certainly it follows the trend of I think that he is a very talented director, but I think mm. the script is just pretty bland. I don't think there's too much going on there that I was that interested in. Um, it's not even like I feel like it's a miss. I just think that conceptually I wasn't that into it. I don't think that it's like a, a missing idea or anything. I just feel like wasn't all there for me. Yeah, I, I, I found it hugely compelling while watching it. I was I was gripped. It was really tense, really involving filmmaking that I, I really enjoy the whole time watching, uh, which I think is its own praise and should be held quite highly against the the swathes of critiques I'm going to throw at it because I do think it has a lot a lot of issues. Um, but as an involving watch, held together by strong performances, I think it's 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 really really good. I I like the couple. I like the daughter. I think. Um, Rupert Grint is fun to watch in it and gives a decent enough performance. Interesting. But I think I... Dave Bautista is absolutely brilliant. I think he's absolutely yeah. brilliant as well. No, certainly. I, I mean, he's just a phenomenal actor in general, mm. and I really like him in pretty much everything he's been in. Um, but yeah, I like the the two dads as well are both great. I like Jonathan Groff yeah. a lot. Um, is the other one Ben Aldridge? Is that his name? I'm not sure. I, I didn't like recognize them specifically. I'm not I'm not a good actor rememberer. Um, but they were good. They were good. Yeah, yeah, both really good. I found the daughter pretty annoying, to be honest. I thought she was fine. Um, I, I, I often find children annoying. I thought she was absolutely fine. Um, she wasn't overly focused on, um, and I liked the way that she plays off against um, Dave Bautista's character. I thought that was, yeah, that I was cool. She gets better throughout. I think, especially yeah. like in the in the first half of the movie, I was just I was finding her very irritating. Um, I, Rupert Grant, I think, is terrible, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not saying that he's great. I, I enjoy seeing him in things. Yeah, um, me too. I, it just it, maybe it's just so jarring to hear him trying to do an accent that. Oh god, yeah, that was that was that was not, it's I not good it's, at all. <laughs> because everyone else is actually really quite good. <laughs> Rupert Grint, I did. I, I had a lot of fun watching him, but everyone else is like actually good, and he's just like, no, oh, it's Rupert Grint. This is cool. <laughs> um, so that that does stand out. So, um, the film's interesting. So, one, I think there is something deeply kind of like unsettling about a movie coming out that's about basically what if doom cult evangelical Christians were right. Um, yeah, that's not a great narrative. Did you look up the ending of the book? No, it's different. Am I wrong? Yes, it is okay. different. So, in I know this is from memory now, so maybe I'll get this completely wrong. Um, but I, I'm not going to check because I can't be bothered. <laughs> um, so I believe um, the the daughter dies in a struggle. Um, in the I'm, I actually am going to have to look it up. Actually, after so the cabin at the end of the world is what it's called, isn't it? It's a uh, much yes. sadder ending. Okay. Well, well. 
it depends what you count as a sadder ending. Right, the, perspective, the, the, right. the, the, right, the writer has said that he thinks the, the film has a, a sadder ending um, because of its implications, which we'll talk about. So, um, so yeah, so when's the daughter, isn't it? So the daughter, yeah, the daughter dies in a crossfire thing. Um, she tells Eric, still time, blah, blah. Um, and then um, one lady dies by suicide. Eric considers suicide. Um, Andrew argues in the apocalypse is real here if you still obey a god that does not accept Wen's death as enough. They decide that neither wants to leave the other alone by dying. Grief-stricken, Eric and Andrew head for Raymond's car with Wen's body deciding to stay together for whoever comes. So it does not I... give you a closure around is there a reality to this, even though it's pretty clear because the things that happen, but instead... It's that eschatological thing which the films really deal with of what does the end of the world mean if yeah. it's a theistic end of the world. Um, I think I like that I that ending way more and I would greatly mm. prefer that. I mean, it. yeah, I like the, the sort of ambiguity of it a lot more. Um, I don't even like the ambiguity so much. I like that it therefore deals with the central question the film is noticed in dealing with is if this is all true what does this mean about God? <laughs> Which right. is the fascinating bit. Because the whole time there's like, oh, she does to save the world. And it's like, yay. And they kind of do save the world. Um, and it's just like, yeah, but what does that say about the world that we now know that we live in? And what are the implications of this? What does it say about this? Yeah. That stuff is really fascinating. And the film is just not interested in, in, in dealing with that. Which I think is fine. I think it's a good Hitchcockian, pulpy Hitchcockian thriller. Um, it's just, there is stuff on the edge more interesting. The thing I would say is... Um, at the risk of sounding cancelable, I think the film would be better if it was a traditional conservative nuclear family. Um, Which is the book, correct? N- no, I don't think so. Um, I think it is the two dads in the book. I believe so. Maybe I'm wrong. So the argument I would make is I feel that the the prejudicial stuff in the film is actually quite well handled, um, but ultimately is there as kind of like plot device. Yeah. Um, and because it has no interest in wider themes, it's not that um, it's not as well handled as it as, as it could be, or doesn't feel as necessary as it could have been. Um, and I think my ultimate problem with it is it fits into what seems to be the message of the film is the so the good positive message is the good things will happen. Um, the after great moments of like suffering that there will be there will be uh, a release, which is nice. And is a very nice kind of like this feels very post COVID y as a film and it feels very much adapted with COVID in mind of that sense of being like we've all been through something very, right. very hard. Um and things are not over now, but things are different now. Um but that's so fatalistic and it's so is the idea yeah. that there has to be suffering for there to be is like no things can be good of like the characters don't need to suffer to to reach good things. And the fact that so many people have died <laughs> Yeah, it really glosses over that. And it's just like, meh, whatever. And I think my my point is, it would have a politics to it if it was about this idea of the conservative view of the family. Of a thing that really irritates me is this idea of this conservative view of family above all else, family above community. Yeah. And this story lends itself to that. Definitely. Well, I don't care about the rest of the world. I'm going to protect me and mine. And that's a much more interesting thing in line with what Emma Chandler is doing. I feel the the wider stuff 
fits the novel better or what the novel to be in like it's more kind of like because then the idea of like because um, if it is about old testament old testament asked god which it very much is about yeah gods and plagues then it makes sense to have your two gay male characters being like actually you know what i don't want to be a part of that because that invokes the legacy of kind of like of homophobia of strict christianity that's way interesting and i feel this skirts the middle line but effective filmmaking i enjoyed it yeah, I think I, I don't like that, like, the film, it's much more interested as, like, the apocalypse just as, like, an aesthetic thing rather yes. than, like, the actual, like, implications of it or what any of it means. Or, like you said, like, the idea of dealing with the concept of an actual, like, vengeful, wrathful god, um, which is a much more interesting idea to me. Um, and it just kind yeah. of uses the idea of apocalypse as, like, this third act, th- third act thing that's just, like, going on while the characters are going through something and yeah it really glosses over like all of the stuff that happens and then it just kind of ends and it's like i'm kind of more Mm. interested in what's happening where the film cuts off because i'm more interested in the world following those events because it's not a film of ambiguity and that's maybe an issue with it that that, that's what keeps it to the old like three star threshold of things because at no point are you like is this real or not you're like well well there's a movie here and it's heightened and it's a thriller this is going to play out. It doesn't play in that liminal space of being like, maybe, is it? Right. Is it not? And you see things happening and it's so clear from the tone of the film that you're like, well, no, this is clearly happening. There is, there is no, I mean, at any point you're like, is this not happening? I would say like for the first half, like I was kind of like, I was more invested in the idea of that. Like I, and I liked it more in the first half mm. because there was like that. It doesn't seem there was more that of, idea though. It doesn't, but I was like, I think I was kind of like holding on to that. Mm. Like, if it could be more ambiguous and if it was really wrestling with like that play between like, what if we are taking these actions yeah. and nothing is happening? And it's like, and then it just kind of throws that away. And it's like, yeah, this is happening. And it's like, okay, I'm less interested in that. Well, because for me, the more interesting film is that you make the decision. And the weight of the decision is you therefore literally don't know because you don't know right if exactly so, and, 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 and that weight is fascinating but because you've seen planes fall out the sky and fires and those fires and then it rains and it stops because there is that divine intervention thing there isn't that kind of like thing of being like well we did it but we wouldn't know if it hadn't have worked we wouldn't exactly know if it did work that's really cool i mean it reminds me of so mark kermode critic tells a story about um William Friedkin adapting The Exorcist um, and how they trimmed quite a lot of the beginning of the book down. I think even in William Pitsbatty's script, trimmed it down. And the point was, so they got rid of a bunch of the ambiguity at the beginning because the point was, it's called The Exorcist. They know this person is possessed. <laughs> Let's not play with the ambiguity here. <laughs> like the movie's literally called The Exorcist. We know what's going on. Yeah. And there's a bit of like totally of that here being like, you know where this is going. Like yeah. it's like, you could be like, oh, maybe it's not, but you like the the energy that every actor is bringing here. You're like, well, this is not doing like weird cult strange stuff. This yeah. is, you know, where this is going, which is a problem with the messaging at the end. Yeah, which I mean, I do like a part of me like appreciates that Shyamalan is is not like trying to trick you when he's totally. Like, I, really I know like where that. I know where it's going to end, so I don't want to try and trick you and then like hmm. pull the rug out from under you. But I also like I'm just. I don't like the idea of like that central decision being reactionary rather than genuinely like yeah. taking a risk. Yeah. I still think it's, I, I think it's really hard to articulate because I, it's so easy to criticize a movie, 
but generally the craft of it is really really impressive it is a like, very the, well the stuff made on film cameras film. there's so much great i mean if you like rack focus this is a rack focus dream of film there's just like constantly <laughs> all the time all the time such elegant camera moves such good visual storytelling really knows how to frame performances get interesting things out of cast and it is fun so i do really quite like it even and though it's it deeply flawed yeah and it's i mean it's he does such a great job with like that single location i would like it more yeah. if it really stayed in that single location yeah, i don't I like agree. the flashback stuff but um, yeah no i he, agree he gets a lot well. out of that and yeah so the, the, the stuff that's good about it is absolutely brilliant the stuff that's bad about it is more academically kind of like mm, not so great right but if there's anything like it doesn't really have like a massive achilles heel to me it's more just like if you thought about this more this doesn't seem great but hey so that is knock at the cabin so steve you want do you want to introduce <laughs> um seeing as you reviewed it um Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. Yeah, Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. I really, really liked this movie. I um, I don't know if you've seen... Have you seen all of Brandon Cronenberg's films? Oh, three of them, including this one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, it's three now. Um, yeah, I really like him as a filmmaker. I like watching kind... I have liked watching kind of the progression um, that he has taken. And I don't necessarily think that this is... Um, a step up from Possessor, which is, I think is a, I mean, definitely a, a not. fantastic film, but I had a ton of fun with this movie. I really liked Infinity Pool. I think it's, I just think it's super cool. <laughs> I just, I just don't <laughs> think it is. I think it's a problem with it. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it's not very cool. Um, it is, I don't know, for a little bit, I was very invested. And then I was just like, are you going to actually find a thing for this, to do this movie? Or is this a short? Oh, it's a short. Oh, you, there is a short here. It's an interesting idea and it just drags and it's just kind of vapid and the filmmaking i don't find very very interesting um really the performances not, yeah not really like it's just it just it's kind of loopy and just like overly filtered hypnotic um i wrote quite a bit in my review about the way that it treats violence i don't find the way it treats violence interesting at all um we're gonna deal with the elephant in the room because it invokes it itself which is comparing this film to david cronenberg okay because I think the film invokes it directly, um, which seems I mean, it's unfair. hard not to. Yeah, it is. It is kind of unfair. But I think like it, the film in a weird way also, I mean, directly deals with that at the same time. Like it's this weird thing where you can't really avoid it, but he's also trying to respond to it. And maybe that's like yeah. kind of what ends up being a problem is that he's trying to kind of explain his own way out of a thing that's just going to be unavoidable because of who he is. Um, Could, but I also so understand the, the about need repetitions. to do that. Yeah, the film is about about being a repetition of something else, of living at the expense of something else, being to get away with things because of your identity and your privilege. Um, and as I put in my review, it very much seems to be a film that is aware of deeply aware of nepotism, and oh, definitely, it, it casts to one defo nepo baby and one pseudo nepo baby in the in the two main roles, which is very very specific. Um, so Mia Goff is not as high profile a Nepo baby as obviously the Skarsgårds are, but I'm comes not sure from, I even know who she's related com- to. So comes from an art, like an artistic background of um, I think it's like theatre stuff in the back. Oh, so okay. she is she she is from fame. She is not like as directly from, right. um, which I think then makes sense in the movie that she she is not kind of like insufferable in the in the same ways. Is not yeah. limited in the same ways. Whereas our main character, Skarsgård, is this kind of, like, hack who does something that he thinks is maybe good, but is a bit derivative, and 
ultimately is just coasting by on wealth, privilege, things in the past, yeah. which seems very self-aware. Um, but then, where does the film go with that? For me, nowhere at all. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, that is like the the setup of the film, and then it takes a very different direction with it and is, is more interested in the other ideas um, that it has. I think like just what? more in general about like, I mean, I think in general it's more of like a loss of humanity and kind of the, there's there's more of an idea of just like the, the privilege of wealth in general um, and him getting kind of lost in that. Because he but just kind you... of go for it. Is there an, is there enough to the beginning of him though to like make a descent make sense? Because does does he have enough arc? Like does he fall from a high enough place to have like a loss of humanity there? Because he's very vapid and interesting from the beginning, like effectively so, and then is more like I feel that he is kind of the same character throughout. Okay, I mean I see what you mean. I don't necessarily think it's like a fall from like a larger height i think Mm. it's more about like he is so clearly like lost at the beginning and has nothing to like hold on to and he knows i think that like he's very aware of his own like inability um to be successful like he very clearly knows that he only has any kind of success which is basically no success because of his wife and because of who his wife's family is and he is incapable of writing, and so he does this, like, you know, ridiculous retreat thing, which, you know, doesn't help him in any way whatsoever. Which, which, which is the movie. This person that's incapable of writing does this ridiculous right. thing. And, and therefore we have this ridiculous thing that shows an incapable writer. Um. <laughs> um, so I don't necessarily think it's like he is established at, like, a high point and then falls. I think it's more like he is at a low point and then is like because he's susceptible to what happens to him because of that and then just kind of ends up submitting to it so the three Cronenberg films I think it's directly in conversation with one is obviously Dead Ringers obviously um, yeah. because it is about doppelgangers very much so um, the other is Crash because it is about yeah. trying to find new sensations in crushing modernity and trying to find a new thing. And the other is, is is the fly, I think, of the kind of like the becoming monstrous and seeing yeah. oneself as monster. I'm thinking that way. And those ideas in those films, which seems unfair of me, but then I think about why do I love those films and not this? And it's because those films use imagery way more intentionally in a way that links back to what they're about. And they have a wit to them. And this film is just witless. It is just kind of like just edgy really? like boringly edgy it doesn't have that kind of like spark it doesn't have that, that dry wit that david cronenberg does yeah it's definitely different i wouldn't say it's witless i think that i mean i think everything about mia goth's character is is fantastic and i think like the more the film like dives into her character and just how like mm. she's my favorite part of the film definitely how yeah like how like she just like lets loose with that performance and there's like that that whole segment in like the third act where she's on like the hood of the car and stuff is just like so phenomenal like i think that's hilarious <laughs> steven disagrees <laughs> clearly i just i just also just like at that point the film had, had so kind of like lost me of being like because it, okay. it's so just it it loses steam about 20 minutes in and 20 minutes it gets wow. it i think yeah pretty much like when, when you get to that reveal of the you can get out of this crime 
bone making double and you're like okay that's cool and I like that it treats it as prosaic and then it doesn't really find anything to do with that and then it just wallows for a while and then it gets kind of cool towards the ending I don't like the violence as mentioned um, because I feel that it's so in body horror it's usually either the metaphorical element of what's going on is interesting or it's the prosthetics are interesting um the actual violence itself doesn't link to any kind of like metaphorical idea he's not like ripping it himself it's just like just brutal brutal violence and the amount of the violence overwhelms any kind of like practical joy for me as well it just becomes excessively gratuitously edgily violent in a way just like this just becomes quite numbing but isn't it i don't know i feel like that is purpose-driven i feel like the gratuitous and numbing effect of it is reflective of the the characters and what their like what their purpose is like just the gratuity is because they feel like there are no consequences because there basically are no consequences for them and because it's like basically all they do Mm -hmm. and they're just in this cycle of violence and enjoying watching their own death and then just kind of restarting it i think that it's as numbing to them as it might be to you I said that's an, just an interesting narrative then. I just I just don't find that... Which is, yeah, thema- I mean, that's totally fair. Thematic, thematically <laughs> appealing. As, as Whereas something like Crash is so much about actual extremity and actual societal numbness in a very specific way, this feels kind of like a vapid, kind of like an underbaked version of like more specific ideas. It's just like a, a vague societal numbness as opposed to specifically a part of the human condition. Um, and I think another thing that leaves a sour taste in my mouth is the the backdrop of this film where it has this fictionalised um, developing nation that is just there to give a bit of edge to it. It's just there to make it a little bit more extreme, which I do find quite distasteful. I mean, so what would your... I mean, is I, that be not... Like, be like crap. Be like Crash. Set it, set it amongst the supposed elite. Set it amongst the supposed, like high society and watch the degradation in like the the offloading it to this thing is using that as part of like a cinematic grammar to imply kind of like and it, it enforces it with representations within of yes these people it, it's a foil to show they're hypocrites and they're horrible but then this is just a place of barbarism so it is using those ideas i think if you actually want to show their barbarity then show it on their own terms outside of a wider culture that is there as just like a an aesthetic to accommodate barbarity but then doesn't that lose the the drive of it? Like, it's the drive of it is that this, like, sort of destitute economy is basically driven by these people's actions. Like, then don't you lose that by translating it to a different space? I, I, one, I don't feel that's driven enough by the film. Like, I don't, I don't really feel that is particularly... I feel the, the culture around them is only ever backdrop. Um, okay. if it actually dealt into that and gave an actual voice outside of just violence um, to that culture then maybe um, but then I also think that you could get that in a more internalised um, presentation of you could get that in like parts of the US which I mean think about like the Florida Project for example where it's just like yeah. look at this like social deprivation living right outside of just like horrible commercialism it's yeah, it, it's the offloading of it for me. It's the use of being like less developing nation as shorthand to make your point about the elite. Just, just feels throwaway in a way that makes me uncomfortable, or or just like just makes me annoyed. I think more than uncomfortable. Okay, I guess I can see what you're saying. So like, I think 
would you prefer it if it was like still the same setting but more just like confined to the resort itself and not like so that you have the presence of that and you have the existence of this resort as like this yeah this place of wealth and excess in a very um broken down place but you're not like abusing that place as a background yeah and and generally i think if it was so i've i've watched um the white lotus stuff and i really really like it i mean generally if it was just like that resort in italy in the second one where it's just like there is this is set in a part of Italy where around this there is a lot of kind of like crime and deprivation. That's more interesting. Okay. As opposed to evoking a more directly colonialist lens that it even has an aesthetic for its kind of like the, for the culture that it brings on. It just, I don't like that stuff at all. And, and I don't feel it's, it, I don't feel it's additive to the film. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I understand that. I, I do think that's, um, a totally valid perspective i am curious like do you think the comparisons i mean i i mean i guess like we already kind of mentioned he's directly mm. talking about it but like i'm just curious of like how much those comparisons to his father's work are like just directly harming him like is he's even yeah intending to invoke that stuff or if it's just like people are making those links because of who he is and it's not really what he's intending to do but it ends up you know being detrimental to his work just by proxy well definitely but what's the only reason why this movie was financed and why why it exists no it's true i mean that's what i mean (laughs) he's he's certainly like trying to wrestle with that idea but it's like how do you yeah Um, how how does he escape that i mean i guess he i think he did in part more successfully in possessor so yeah possessor i felt felt like to me a new kind of body horror that i hadn't seen before i like they felt substantively different and being like oh this is this is you know the new flesh this is this is this is something else and this just feels like rehashed ideas i've seen in better films some of which david cronenberg some of which are wider films and it also comes at a point where i'm getting pretty bored of aren't rich people all horrible and look at them tear each other apart that is becoming less and less interesting yeah it's we've seen that so often recently i mean we've discussed it many times on on this show now because it is just so prevalent but um this was certainly way more successful than a lot of things i've seen yeah recently, I, at least definitely um I because think it's, it's not porny about it no point is it wealth porn yeah. it's always it's gross from the beginning and i do like that about it quite a lot yeah, I, I think it's much more self-aware of what it is than a lot of the other yeah. things, um, like Triangle of Sadness or something like that. Oh, um, <laughs> which is, yeah, just a terrible film. Um, but yeah, I think it would be, I would like to see him, you know, get away from, from that and do something a little bit more outside of what is in vogue. So Yeah. I, I, again, I don't I don't really like the visuals of this film very much. Um, I find them I do a lot. quite 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 bland and repetitive um i feel like the psychedelic imagery is just there in in place of actual narrative or ideas which is my my mean thing to say but it's just how i felt about it it just the whole thing felt very very vapid very very empty and i didn't find the imagery appealing in the way that i do with my body horror films other horror films i didn't like get any kind of like horror poetry from it it was just like doesn't look very good mia goff's very good um that's about it i think that it's interesting because i think that i thought the visuals were great i think it's filmed in such an interesting way to me i think he really takes like to me he takes like the con- any conventional way you would shoot it and then he does it like he, he makes it just off like in this very precise mm-hmm. way to me where it's like everything feels just on the edge of normal 
um which i like a lot like he he clearly doesn't he wants to create this like unreality kind of thing but it's very very close like on the borderline of between those things which i think is exactly what it should be um i thought the visual language too many montages too many montages too many just like montages in place of actual stuff happening like what if you just like freaked out and just had some filters for about five ten minutes I like the montages. <laughs> I like the <laughs> hypnotic psychedelic if you, stuff. If, it's fun. If you, if, you, if you like the montages, then I have a, a great film for you. It's called Rocky Four, uh, <laughs> which is what if a film was instead of a third act, instead, actually instead of a second act, it was just all montages. I'm all about it. I need and to go through montages the, the Rockies for, soon. Yeah, I just I just did that. I will not be re- I will not be recommending them at the end. There was a period <laughs> where I thought I would have to recommend the Rocky films. I'd watch nothing else of in, of, in, of interest, but. Alas, no. Um, Infinity Pool. Um, That's Infinity Pool. Yeah, it's it's good. It's 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 worth watching. For me, there's stuff around it that I find uncomfortable, and I feel the film itself is not interesting enough to kind of like evade that or use that. Um, Vaughn got a lot out of it and wrote very well about the site, so so read that there, obviously. Which leads us to a Magic Mike discussion. Let's start with no. talking Magic Mike to begin with. It doesn't lead us to a Magic Mike discussion, Stephen. You've forgotten about our most important segment. I stalled. Segment. Oh no, I stalled. <laughs> Let me get out of neutral and into first gear so I can start. We have to gear up for Gran Turismo. <laughs> we do. So, um, the, my big news was going to be that I would have received a copy of Gran Turismo 5. Um, the Gran Turismo, the Gran which, Turismo movie is about, as established, yeah, is is the the titular game, which which I might even read out the the see if I can find the exchange I had about this. Oh, that's this is very exciting <laughs> because it was a bizarre exchange um, where my brother, who had said Gran Turismo game, was just like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> Why would anyone want to borrow Gran Turismo, Gran Turismo five in twenty twenty three? Why specifically five? Um, so my brother posted a picture of having bought Gran Turismo Seven. So, um, therefore, now that I knew I had Gran Turismo Seven, I was like, I know he had old Gran Turismos. I wondered if I could borrow a previous Gran Turismo, and I knew that he had five, um, which was the one that interested me. So, started a conversation, which may have been deleted by Facebook. <laughs> I thought you set it up. I thought you had found it, but you set up Where a conversation hell? that doesn't exist. It's in the post. Okay, well, so I just posted, do you have GT5? He replied, two copies, which I was like, okay. I replied, could I borrow one? You can have one. Bring it to Dream Theater. We want it posted right away. <laughs> for, the, for the listener, I was going to a Dream Theater concert yesterday with my brother. I bought it off eBay and it didn't turn up for like a month, so I bought it again and both turned up within days of each other. Do you want to borrow six too? That one I do want back though. Me. Just five, please. <laughs> I also like that this is a post where your brother just purchased Gran Turismo Seven, but he wants he wants six back because he's gonna go back to playing six at some point. <laughs> Him, why are you randomly after GT5? I mean, it's a great game, but seems strange. Me, for contrived reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and then, alas, I got COVID and couldn't go to the Dream Theater concert, so therefore, do not have a copy it's of Gran Turismo 5. You should have just asked not... him to post it right away. <laughs> <laughs> I never got to explain to him why I wanted it. 
<laughs> so that's my update. I played a, oh actually I played a bunch of Forza Horizon Five. Great game. <laughs> completely unrelated um, uh, but <laughs> so yeah I, I i i played it as if it was gran turismo so i bought a car close to mine um but i broke it so i bought a car close to my car and then i spent so much money upgrading it that now it's basically impossible to drive because it's so overpowered that it can't steer it can't do anything and then i drove up a mountain for a while and then it fell off. oh that's amazing yeah i so i was tempted to reinstall for the horizon 5 because that game is very fun and i'm gonna want to enjoy playing racing games in between bouts of playing Gran rather Turismo than getting, <laughs> rather than getting told off for passing someone incorrectly um, yeah so unfortunately I have not played Gran Turismo since uh, the last podcast so I don't have a I don't have an update and Steven didn't get the game so he doesn't have an yeah. update so instead I had to collate some Gran Turismo information for us okay. um, to, to grant you on the movie so we established previously that this film is being directed by Neil Blomkamp um, and mm-hmm. first I was curious, just for my own sake, I was like, how many of these am I going to have to do before this movie comes out? <laughs> so this movie comes out <laughs> on August 11th, 2023. <laughs> nice. And so I have 13 more iterations of Gear Up for Gran Turismo. That's so 13 I hope license you're... tests, that's fine. I hope uh, I hope everyone's enjoying this segment because it's going to be around for a while for most of the year. And then we'll have to gear down. Really, we'll have to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll have a, there'll be a hole in the podcast. We'll have to find something new to get ready for. Yeah, um, I'll find another movie to ironically enjoy. So I also found out this was originally when they were first planning on making a Gran Turismo movie in like 2015. It was originally going to be directed by Top Gun Mavericks Joseph Kaczynski. Um, oh god it would be oh god they're just like picking bad directors don't they <laughs> i was gonna say you think that's much much worse than neil blomkamp yeah probably yeah he's probably made worse movies than neil blomkamp has made i think i can't even think of what other movies kaczynski has direct oh he did um, spider oblivion oh and spiderhead did you do Oblivion? Spiderhead. Was Spiderhead what it was called? Did I get that right? <laughs> I want to say it was. Let's not look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Spider Hack, but that's a video game. S- Spider Hat. Spider Hat is a video game. Spider Hack. Spider Hat. Oh, Hack. Oh, well, now I want yeah. Spider Hat. Um, oh, yeah, it's like from the from the Octodad or <laughs> Spider Hat. Um, yeah. Uh, but I so I also I did some research on the writers of Gran Turismo as well because I had to know who was writing oh. this movie. Um, so we've got two writers, Jason Hall, yep. who wrote such gems as American Sniper mm. and a movie. <gasps> Is there going to be a fake baby in this? I hope there's <laughs> a fake baby. And a movie that I don't think anybody has really seen, but a movie called Spread, which Ooh. let me read you an excerpt from my review. I referred to it as an offensive, misogynistic, obnoxious pile of trash. You've so... seen this movie? <laughs> Did you watch Not, this movie because of this? No, no, I watched this years ago. Spread. How? Uh, why did you watch this? I have no idea why I watched this. Um, it must have just been on Netflix or something like that, and we were looking it's for something Amazon to watch. Prime. There you go. Maybe um, I, yeah, some yeah. just terrible Ashton Kutcher All movie. Right. Watch list. <laughs> watch list. <laughs> I can't yeah. recommend it, but I guess if you want to gear up. I do, um, I need to know, I need to know. So the other writer is Zach Balin, who wrote King Richard, and okay. is also worked on Creed 3, and is also working on apparently an upcoming Crow remake. 
so yeah. I don't have much of a read on that. Um, I think the King Richard link makes a lot of sense. I could see why you'd want the person that wrote yeah. that to write this kind of Grand Christmas movie. It makes makes more sense. Um, Inspirational sports story is kind of like the line they're going for, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I I would think so at least. So I'm. We'll yeah. see. I reading finding out who those writers were. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. But um, I guess we'll see. Well, That's I'm, all I'm the information. Up. That's all the information I have for for Grand Jury. Next time, this week. we'll talk about the editor. Who is the script? There's, there's not a whole lot of information right scripts? now, and I've who got is thirteen the best episodes. Boy? You won't believe who the gaffer is on Grand Turismo. They also worked on Assassin's Creed. I'm just gonna have to start hoping that I start getting like PR emails promoting Grand Turismo, and I'll pull information from that. Mm, um, GTPR. <laughs> so there you go. Not not, your... not GT Prologue. That sounds confusing. That's a different GTPR. And not to be confused with PGR, Project Gotham Racing. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that series. Yeah. Almost Does that still exist? for a long No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that even made it to the X. Maybe that made it to like the first few years of the Xbox 360. Oh, okay. Um, you got Kudos, didn't you? You got Kudos. Um. <laughs> Like, for driving that, cool. that very much sounds like yeah like an old game thing that doesn't exist anymore if you drive cool you get kudos project gotham racing but let's stop driving and let's start dancing oh, let's, let's pull over <laughs> let's talk about the magic mike movies we don't need to go for season over because we've done it before yes um, um if you haven't listened you can go back and listen to our kimmy episode where we talk at length about steven soderbergh as a director my cliff notes on that is he is one of my favorite directors of all time um, easy, 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 um, and I think he's the director I'm most interested in. Um, him it's and Hans Zimmer, the ones, yeah. the, the ones that I'm just like, yeah, yeah it is important. Um, <laughs> are the ones that I find fascinating because I can read their films as reflections of a wider body of work, and therefore I find their films much more satisfying because I can piece them into things right. um, above and beyond the film itself. So Hong Sang Soo's films leans that very nicely as do Steven Soderbergh's. And because he just does what he damn well wants. Um, that's I can't argue with that. He does. And people only say wonderful things about working with him. There was someone that wrote into the Kevin and Mayo podcast to say that they were an extra in the final dance montage, and they said, blah, blah, you didn't like the film, but I want to say that I had such a brilliant time being on set with Steven Soderbergh. Um, told him I enjoyed Schizopolis. He apparently then apologised for making Schizopolis. <laughs> <laughs> and just apparently was just absolutely brilliant, ridiculously hands-on, as we all know, because as is much said, the name you see most in the credits for Steven Soderbergh movie is Steven Soderbergh or an alias that Steven Soderbergh yeah. is working under. Because <laughs> he does everything. He operates. He directs. He edits. He produces. He occasionally acts. Oh, I love him, love him, love him, love him. And I really, really like the first Magic Mike. As do you. Tell me about it. I do too, yeah. So I I can't remember the first time I watched it was a couple of years back. Um, and I, I mean, I was kind of sort of familiar, but not it, like intimately familiar with steven soderbergh yeah. as a director um and Ooh. my main takeaway the first time watching it was wow that was yellow um yeah know, that's great. <laughs> and i thought it was okay i didn't love it didn't dislike it um i thought it was pretty good um but then i rewatched it um leading up to the release of magic mike's last dance and i was like mm. oh this is really really excellent and it's very subverse, good. yeah, subversive in a way that I didn't quite pick. I mean, I picked up on it a little bit, I think, watching it the first time, but like didn't really fully appreciate it. Um, and watching it this time, I was like, oh, this is like not even close to what it is portending to be, and it is actually like just a really excellent um, kind of incisive film about 
post-recession America that I think is fantastic. Um, really like Magic Mike. I related to I was less impressed by it on a rewatch because I think it, it kind of like relies a lot on not being that thing that you think it is. And then I think the thing that it ultimately is is not as new and not as subversive as perhaps it could be. It very much is kind of like a, a very traditionally themed kind of like crime degradation film which is a different wrapper on it. Um, I do like it a lot. I just wasn't as wowed by it as the first time because the first time I was like, this was not what I was expecting at all. And now that it was what I was expecting, okay. it's like, I don't know if it, if it pulls it off as interestingly as it thinks it does. There's a bit too many too many characters that's quite not to do with. Um, I think Mike in the centre is not amazing in this one. I think the McConaughey performance is absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think it's a shame that didn't come back. Um, but hey. I think I generally agree, but it's one of those cases where it's... It's less, good. It's really good. It's it, really it doesn't, good. Yeah, it just doesn't bother me as much. I do think that there are too many characters. Like, I think that the whole... Um, what's that guy's name? It doesn't matter. Um, the the kid character, I think, is just kind of... I think that's like a, the thing that, that scuppers it a bit for yeah. me. Because I feel... Because I agree with you. It does have... And Cormac actually wrote a really good review of it. Um, it does have a really good thing about this idea of male objectification uses a metaphor for how we are objectified by society in, in a wider way as in we are made into financial objects to be used yeah. and that's that that's really really smart but i feel that gets lost in a very by the numbers rise and fall narrative of ingenue finds their way into things drugs get involved it breaks bad i feel that through line is putting convention that seems subversive because it's about male stripping but it's actually like this is actually quite a conventional crime movie just with some male stripping in it yeah, I think my only, like, defense of that, like, mm. arc of the film is, like, I think that it's it's necessary in a way because you have Mike who has been working so hard for so yeah. many years at, like, the central idea that he has. And it is then, like, he is crippled by his own, like, kindness. And I think that's very well reflective of... The film's larger ideas. It's, it's about, like the end um, of Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, isn't it? It's like <laughs> when she, she is too kind and she gives her dress away to that person so they can wear the dress, and they then spoilers Mrs. Harris goes to Paris and they set that dress on fire, that unique only her dress, and it gets ruined. But spoilers Mrs. Harris goes to Paris again. <laughs> Dior hear about that and they send her a letter being like, "Oh, it seems that kindness, your 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 kindness has been the undoing of you again." That person who bought that dress you really wanted earlier, you know, she really wanted temptation, but she couldn't get temptation because that uppity person got temptation instead, <laughs> just to just to just to shame her because she thought that Mrs. Harris didn't belong in Paris. Even though Mrs. Harris did, she went to Paris. She she went there. So then they're like, well, actually, we still have your measurements when we did it for this dress. So we're going to send you a version of temptation, the dress you actually wanted. And then she wears it to the ball at the end, and Jason Isaac sees her. And Jason Isaac's like, oh yeah, I think you look lovely because he's got an accent. I don't know why he's got an accent, but he does. He's doing accent. He loves accents. And and then she's just like, well, it's just the dress, isn't it? And then he makes a point about like how she's always been lovely uh, on the outside and the inside. And then they're together. And that's and that's quite a nice movie. <laughs> I just, I want to go back to a minute, like two of this podcast where Stephen apologized for being lethargic because he has COVID. And then just went on whatever that was about Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. <laughs> It's a good movie. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great episode of the podcast. Yeah, it's, she she incites a workers' rebellion, um, and the workers' rebellion is aimed to. So the aim of it is let's stop being elitist, and instead, let's get big into commercialism. 
Is it that? <laughs> It's not a very well articulated workers' rebellion. Okay. Because they're just like, oh, Dior is struggling because people have to come <laughs> to us and we're all snooty and blah, 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 blah. And then, then they're like, hey, Mrs. Harris, she's like the everywoman. We should be making merchandise and selling us up in shops. I'm like, this is not like the the woke guy culture realisation. This is, this is a different bad kind. Of, this is like taking one kind of capitalism and like, there's another bad type over here. Let's be different capitalism. So yeah, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. And oh. they have someone that, that says, I'm a communist, I support this. That's actually a line from the movie. Oh. Well, I was excited when you said there was a secret workers' rebellion, but now I'm less excited about that idea when I now that I know how it ends <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. Good movie, though. I really enjoyed it. What are we talking about? Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. <laughs> right. Magic Mike. I don't know. I don't know how yeah. we... Oh, yeah. Mike's kindness, and that's how it happens. Yeah, how exactly. Got to Mrs. Like, it's much like in Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. So she is, she is too kind. Right. So, so that's Magic Mike. Yeah. Um, but we both like it, I think, is the, yeah. the ultimate takeaway. We both like I mean, they could go to Paris in it, but they don't. They don't go to Paris. Um, that would make it better. I like, they stay in Florida, which we'll yeah. come back to later. Um, but Magic Mike XXL. Uh, yeah, I saw this at the cinema and really didn't like it because I really liked Magic Mike because it was not that film that it promised to be because Soderbergh is subversive and interesting. And then this was, in my view at the time, being like, oh, this is just what the first one ducked away from being. And yes, the dance scenes are quite good, but what is this? I don't know. I think, like, yes, it's not subversive in the wider sense of, like... Well, I now agree. <laughs> okay, well, like, yeah, it's like, it's not subversive in the wider sense of yes you go in expecting one thing and you get something else but like it's subversive to the first film which i think yes. is what makes it so interesting to me well now i agree and yes <laughs> i'm glad you agree it. now <laughs> it is it is the weakest of the trilogy uh, but... <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> well because it is um because it's it is it is far too long um i just it just it doesn't want it oh it is i can't disagree more long, it goes on for a long time um but it has a lot of really nice moments of kind of like acceptance of male friendship. It's a little bit, mm, a bit too everyone's beautiful affirmation stuff to the point of being like vague and vapid at points, which is, which is just a kind of like a philosophy that I just find quite banal of being like, oh, everything's it was like, this is, this is just so vague. It's a bit live, laugh, love poster at points. It's a little bit live, laugh, love. Just a little bit. Okay. That's, I mean, yeah, that's fair. I, I, I get that but yeah i think to me i just sometimes you need that i appreciate it I, this is the one that like i watched these initially and then i rewatched them this week magic mike xxl yeah. is the only one that Same. i've rewatched outside of it because i just like it a lot um i for me it is easily the best of the three um wild wild i <laughs> nobody can see the look that steven just gave me when i said that um but it is and i don't think that it is too long at all. Like I was when I rewatched it recently, I was kind of I even like shocked myself because it was just moving so fluidly and like I was like, oh, I'm like almost done with the movie already and it barely felt like any time had passed. Um I think it's fantastic. It's great fun. Um I love a easygoing, laid back road movie kind of vibe. Um yeah. just it's good music, good vibes. I'm a big fan. Yeah. The Republican wine mums I'm not that into. Um, Fair, yeah. I, I get that. Um, the extended sequence at the castle is is fine. 
Um, but no one there. I like, I do like Donald Glover, um, but I don't know if he quite pulls off the role that he's given there. And then when he's still there, I'm like, why are you still here? Why are you still with these people? <laughs> yeah, I don't get, I don't get that at all from it. Just because I like him a lot, and I'm just like, yeah, I like, yeah, I like, I like seeing him around. I like Donald Glover being in the movie. Why not? I'll take more of it. I got no problem um, with that. Like it's so very it's so intentionally laid back and so intentionally easygoing to me that like the stuff yeah. like that that i think in a different movie i would maybe be like why or like i would be questioning these things i'm just kind of like along for the ride and just like yeah sure why not no i i really enjoyed it this time i think my actual major critique is i find mike completely uninteresting in this movie because i feel like he is the previous film and his arc is not of a kind of the rest of them and i'd rather just like be with the rest of them hanging out um i like the rest of them way more um, than I do like Mike Lane in this film and he, he, he bogs down a little bit but I was so impressed by the way it set up that final sequence and how all of their little dances at the end yeah, actually relied so on some on some room it, though it does point out because some have like 20 seconds being like I get they didn't I guess they didn't get that much character putting for that guy then then um, and then some of them <laughs> is like oh there you go that, that really rewards so yeah it builds up really really nicely as does as does the third one actually to a, a very satisfying kind of like final showdown but I and this is where we will start disagreeing very strongly um, because all of that stuff that I like about the, I mean, I guess both of the, the first two films is completely absent from the third film, which I do not think is good whatsoever. Oh, my God, <laughs> absolutely rules. I had such a fun time at the cinema. Such a, such a, such a fun time. I will contrast it with The Whale, which is, I think at the moment, my least favorite <laughs> film of, 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 of the year. Um, okay. Of, I, 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 after being offended for the first 20 minutes of The Whale and then realising the film is a joke, I laughed consistently like a drain the whole way through because the movie's ridiculous. And I laughed the whole way through Imagine My Last Dance, but it felt very supported by the film. The film feels okay, very aware I, okay. of how ridiculous <laughs> it is. It is, invite, it is inviting your ridicule at points <gasps> so much. It is so... Like, what are the bits in this movie? There is a in-your-face montage of London, London things, but it's all shot with just strange wide-angle lenses. <laughs> so it just warps at the edges. And that's the entire film, right? The entire film is this conventional thing. It, it, the metaphor is, it's a wide-angle shot of a conventional thing. It's like, why is this strange? What is going on here? What is this? It is, uh Steven Zetterberg can't make normal movies, and I love that about him. I think, like, my main point of contention with that is something that I... I we've probably talked about on the show before but like for me i'm like just because you are aware of the thing that you are doing doesn't mean that it's like i get that the film is aware that it's bad but it's still bad like i just <laughs> everything bad, nothing is enjoyable about it it's all I'm enjoyable like, I do that's never great that you're aware of it <laughs> but uh, i just yeah no I, there was no point where i like could get into it at all i mean it lost me in five seconds with that horrible voiceover the narration oh that's so, so funny <laughs> it's not that's what i mean like it's it might so be aware funny. in the sense that the, it knows moment... it's ridiculous but it's so annoying and dumb <laughs> it's just oh god this feels so good like so why i love it and i think i do love it is is the idea is steven Soderbergh doesn't make these kind of films he just doesn't like which is why it's funny that he made Magic Mike to begin with. People expected a Magic Mike movie. So it's right. Like, Have you seen his other movies? He doesn't make these kind of things. The closest he gets to convention is Aaron Brockovich and Ocean's Eleven. And even those have some weird edges to them. And then I rewatched Ocean's Twelve. 
um, this week, which it turns out is, is just absolutely wonderful and is just such just like a, a joke on the first film. Steve Soderbergh's been doing this his entire career. Um, so the idea of getting Soderbergh back to make another Magic Mike movie in the post Magic Mike XXL world where that has changed the thing is very much him being like, oh, okay, well, I don't make movies like this, so I'm just going to do whatever. And the central conceit of the film is dragging someone, the leftover character, the serious character from his first film, and making them a director of a thing they have no business directing, and then just having that happen in the background. And at no point do you really know what the form of the thing he is making, and also the film itself is quite formless and strange. So they intertwine very, very nicely, and in the end, it kind of works out, and has this beautiful sequence to end up with. So it is beautifully in conversation with itself, beautifully self-aware, and always fun. Yeah, it's like, and I mean, that really just goes back to like my initial thing of like, yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, like when we first, I saw this before you, I thought mm. it was terrible. I, I wrote a review of it, which is also on the on the site. It is. Um, it's and... a very good review, it, like annoyingly Thank good. You. Because I'm like, yeah, well, you write, I was like, yeah, you write about a different um, movie than the movie I saw, but you you write about it very very well. And then Stephen, well, even before you saw it, Steve, and I said it was bad, <laughs> Stephen's like, no, it's Steven Soderbergh. Of course it's good. And you were arguing to me before you'd seen it. <laughs> I want to make it clear to listener, that was a joke. I dislike some Soderbergh movies. There are some Soderbergh movies I do not enjoy. Um, that was just um, me just being annoying to Vaughn on the phone. Oh, of course. Um, but then you saw it, and of course you're, I mean, I assume that it was 50% joke and 50% you being <laughs> Um, actually enjoying the film, um, but then telling me how much you liked it. And at first I was just like, I completely disagree with you. You are wrong. And I think if we had recorded the podcast right then, I would have been much more like angry in the moment. <laughs> um, but then you posted your like um, fresh takes thing that you've yeah, been doing. Yeah, so for, um, for, for stack subscribers, when I go to the cinema, I sit in my car with terrible like, audio quality <laughs> and just talking to my phone for three minutes. Um, which I, it's it's a good little format um but i listened okay. to you talking about magic mike and i was like when you kind of explained more of your thoughts on like the idea of like the film being about a director that doesn't really want to be doing it <laughs> i was like okay the movie is about. it makes more sense and like i understood then why you were more into it but again it was like the same thing where i was like okay i get it but the movie's still bad <laughs> like i i get it but it's like That's even why it's if the century <sighs> Even if the central idea is that he is making an aimless, formless thing that has no real purpose, because that's what the I mean, movie's about, no, I'm like, but no it's still, <laughs> but it's still an aimless and formless movie that has no idea what it's about, and it's got he, terrible voiceover, and I don't oh, really like any the of the characters. So funny. There's no the like art to any of it. Nothing to do with the film at all. It's just there as a joke. The voiceover oh, is there as a so joke about voiceovers <laughs> because it's so. It's so purposely overwritten nonsense. It is so like those voiceovers in this kind of film that any other director make. But then every decision this movie makes is like, sorry, what? I mean, again, there is a bit right towards the end where there is just a like a two second video of cats with the word intermission over it. I mean, what the fuck? I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I will certainly, I will give Steven Soderbergh credit for making a bad movie on purpose but it's still a bad movie and I did not like watching it is really what it comes down to um it's just yeah I mean I think really it's like I just the central like the central relationship and the two central characters just are so nothing to me (laughs) yeah no right the, the the film doesn't know what to do with them or what it's about and like again you can call that intent but it's like it still doesn't know what it's about and i think there was 
a lot of frustration because I felt like Soderbergh could have done something closer to the first film and actually made something like interestingly subversive, which is like, it's fine if that's not what he chose to do. But it's like, I was given the, the history of the films. I was kind of disappointed that it goes out of its way to mention that Mike's entire life has been ruined by the (laughs) pandemic. And then it's just like, (laughs) and now he's going to get, it's just like, I'm just like, just don't mention it. Like I don't know. That's that great. Is, uh, That's so great. I'm frustrated love, by the conceit of it. I'm just like that's stupid. I love. I love the Zoom call with the characters in the previous film, and they're like they're basically not there, and they can't even talk properly. But yeah, I know that that's like I'm so annoyed good. by it. I'm like I like these characters. These are the characters uh, no, that like bam, you, the whole on. movie. The whole last movie is like spending its time like establishing exactly. these characters that's and turning them into people. <laughs> that's. I don't think that's good. Uh, I just missed them because exactly. I mean, this, this movie, like, but it's, I, I mean, it really is just like the problem is that again, intent or not, like it mm. just becomes what the first movie was intentionally trying not to be. Yeah. And he made I it. Just, like, I don't like it. Just, this is the film that you want. I made it for you. You didn't want it. There you go. Right. <laughs> again, but it's like, I don't enjoy watching it. I enjoy the other ones because I do actually different. enjoy watching it though. I, uh, I like yeah. his, I like his visual decisions because they're strange the whole way through. Um, I like they're... the dance sequences a lot. I think the, the final stinging in the rain sequence is, is wonderful when they're just like skidding around. Yeah. On very cool ring. sequence. Looks um, awesome. But it's like, I think that's I like, like the, the butler. It's got a good butler. The butler character is ridiculous. I don't, I don't dislike the butler because it's like so comically absurd that character. But um, no, I think. I mean, but he's I think also like, there. It's like just the, he's, he, it's just. Oh, definitely. Um, he works for me better than anyone else in the film of like being a parody of itself. It's, it is just a, it is a, just a purposeful collage of cliches that don't properly fit together in a way of being like, look here, here's the thing, here's what you want, you don't want it, here's the thing that you want, and I. Don't, I don't think it's a brilliant film, obviously, because it is it is ludicrous. But I I enjoy its construction. I enjoy that it is there to antagonize, but not like fully antagonize. I think that's why I like it. If it's it's not like mean spirited, and cynical, it's just lightly mischievous, um, and it's still having fun. It's just like everyone involved is having a great time. It doesn't seem like it's at the expense of the people involved. Yeah, um, I mean, sure. Everyone looks like they're having a blast, and it's just it's coming together nicely. I I wasn't having a blast. (laughs) Oh, I was, and and I loved the bit when it became an oceans movie for a little bit. Where there's that kind of like the heist of the. I I was like, I was so I. What was that? It's so weird. It's. I mean that sequence basically doesn't need to be in the film it changes exactly. nothing but, but it's, it's there as a so, trope it's so but it's, weird it's, it's, it's there oh. as a because the whole film is a we must reopen the rec center vibe it's a one last show vibe it's, it's it's that entire thing which has that that trope of and here comes in the authority to shut it down so they do the thing doesn't even matter doesn't even, doesn't even mean anything i think it's just i think it's too in the middle for me like i don't i think it i think it needs to lean into the absurdity of it and making fun of itself like but then it just would work for me more and maybe i there's a movie which i there's no way no you, I, I, there's no way that you've seen this but there's a film <laughs> called a deadly adoption <laughs> oh sounds fun which is i honestly it's it's great um unironically it is a it's a lifetime movie Ooh. that um will ferrell and Kristen wig decided to be in 
and they basically were like we're going to be in a lifetime movie and we're going to just lean as hard as we possibly can into every lifetime movie trope and it just becomes like this great like parody of itself and that movie's a blast because it's leans very hard into it and it's extremely self-aware and it's just like comically absurd and it's like i just want this to go a step further (laughs) just like just like the whale that's Um, the but the the whale thinks that it's art is the thing The, the, the whale is is like the SNL parody of itself. It is so ridiculous, but it thinks it's being artistic. I mean, I think why I like this movie is because it doesn't fully commit in that way. If it doesn't become postmodern wink satire, it's just slightly off. So he doesn't, It's he's found a new way to be subversive and strange of you expect yeah, him to just... completely flip things. And he doesn't. You're like, what are you doing? And the whole time I'm like, what is this? Why is this film in a cinema? <laughs> why is there like, how is this in multiplexes? What are you doing, Mr. Soderbergh? And, I didn't. I really. I genuinely didn't expect to be so won over by your arguments because I. I totally. I get it. I totally understand. The film just still sucks for me. It's just like. I I get that. It's and that is why I keep saying this is why it's a three star movie. Like it's it's not great, but it's really interesting. And like I'd rather see a film that tries to do something strange and different with a franchise, um, right? Than just Magic Mike XXL two. And I think like the dance stuff like divorced from the film is great but like it yeah. feels so empty in the movie itself that i just like i totally lost interest like there's no i'm like at the very least you can do this subversive thing where you kind of like make the movie totally just like directionless but I'm like where I, i'm missing like the reverence that he shot the first two movies with like they're just it just seems so like hollow the way that these are shot and again maybe that is completely intentional but it just does i don't i feel like i could still get something out of the absurdity Mm. of the narrative if he and still be able to shoot those sequences with actual meaning and like actually infuse that like lively reverence into it and i just didn't get that and i was like if i can't even like be engaged with the dance sequences then i was very I engaged but I, I was engaged with the dance sequences i didn't have any issues with the way they were shot but i wasn't wasn't thinking about that i thought they all looked absolutely fine good even and again why this film works is it's not cynical postmodern trash it seems like it has a genuine interest in in being pleasing like it it, it, it wants you yeah. to have a fun time it does not it does not joke on the audience but it is having fun and being ridiculous so it doesn't seem cynical. It doesn't seem mean-spirited. No. It's just strange. It's just yeah. like, he can't not make a strange film anymore. It is, it is, uh, yeah, it's absolutely, it is sincere in the way that it does it. It's just, the things that it's doing are bad. <laughs> it's not trying of sadness. It's not just like, look at this, huh? And it's right. not, it's not, like, loads of film. And it is to an extent the, let's comment on the thing as we do it. But it also seems to kind of love that as well it kind of likes the portentous pointless um, <laughs> narrative framing like and then when it gives an actual character to the person that you realize is doing the voiceover it's, it's kind of fun and it's like oh that is in her voice it's the kind of thing that she would write um i think like conceptually like everything you're saying i like and i think that i would like it in a different film yeah. but i think because it is tied to characters that i am invested in and like yeah, and because it is tied to a universe that, i mean quote unquote universe because i mean whatever but he said that he said quote that he is interested in magic mics about universe which again <laughs> just sounds like a funny thing that stonepoke likes to say like just i think the frustration for me is that it's a continuation of something that i like and it 
pulls so far away from the stuff that I like to do something completely different that I'm I just I don't have any like room left to to care about it. And thus we found the crux because this is a continuation of things that I like because what I like is Steven Soderbergh and this is right. him. <laughs> so I, I am in, yeah. I am invested in Steven Soderbergh doing strange things with cameras and making weird movies and I'm not overly invested in Magic Mike as a cinematic thing. Like I like those two movies. I don't love them. I don't feel much for the characters. But I do feel a lot for Steven Soderbergh as a creative presence, and this this feels enriching as a career fan of him. So okay. I get that stuff yeah, that you no, don't I, get because my allegiances right. are elsewhere. Yeah, I just I think that those first two movies are like such a great pair together, like the way that they are in conversation with each other. Yeah. But like this, just forgetting about all of that, I was like, okay, well, I mean, whatever. Like yeah. I just this would have worked so much better for me if it had any like cared at all about what it had established in the first two films, but yeah. I totally understand like the the difference in investment and why this you can you can come yeah. out of this being positive on it, which I didn't expect having I mean, this it's conversation. No, it's like... no Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, well, Stephen, do you have anything else to say about Magic Mike before we jump into our next segment? Um, I kept calling it Magic Mike: The Last Dance. Um, no, that's a Netflix documentary about Michael Jordan. Um, it's Magic Mike's last dance. <laughs> it is Magic Mike's last dance. Um, yeah. And for a while, you're like, which is the last dance? And you think it's you think because the character refers to it. Oh no, it's not that dance. It is. The last Boy, dance. they love talking the whole time about how he doesn't want to dance anymore. Which <laughs> that's, again, like, that's funny. That's another good gag. <laughs> again, you're right. And like that, I I genuinely I appreciate that more now because I'm like, okay, I mean, the dude's retired and he's making this yeah, movie. That's exactly. About, it's I, like, right. Okay, like, fine. Like, okay. For me, the most Soderbergh making a film about Soderbergh ever was when it was the direction thing of the other actor does the the dance on the chair to um, permission. And then oh, yeah. it's just Mike goes, all right, I'm going to step in. Here's exactly how I would do it. Is that, is, is that that backseat director being like, interesting, love what you do, love what you do. However, if I was make, I do not that I make films anymore. I don't do this anymore. But if I was, I'd do exactly this. It's like, it's funny because I like the movie that you're talking about, but I know if mm. I watch this again, I don't think that I would like it more. So. No, I don't think you would. I don't, I don't. I don't think you would. I'm just uh, gonna I'm gonna craft the Steven version of the movie in my yeah, mind. And it's good. Steven like, Steven, hey, Steven I like Soderbergh's. The, I like the Infinity Pool that you watched. I wish I watched the same one. So there you go. We can oh, there we go. We can have little side films. We're meeting in the middle. <laughs> um, there you go. There you go. This All is right. now a centrist podcast. Speaking of <laughs> centrist, oh, no. let's have some emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's uh let's jump into some listener mail, which we have mm. some emails about Magic Plank, so we'll yes. Um, I'm pretty sure they all agree right. with me because I'm pretty sure my opinion is pretty much the mainstream opinion. This I don't think anybody that wrote movie. in has seen the movie, so... <laughs> oh, they should. It's good. <laughs> um, but we have an email first from our good friend Cody. Ah. Hello, spoilers. I have a very important... Imp- I fucked it up already. I have a very <laughs> important question <laughs> that ties into Magic Mike and Gran Turismo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is such a great question. So you've realized Which... it's not thoughts this time, huh, Cody? Have you? Hmm. <laughs> Which car model featured in that hit video game series Ooh. or movie or whatever it is would each of you give the most dollar bills to on stage and which would you boo off? Oh. Ooh. Which is such a fantastic question. 
Yeah, I would like like a, a Lamborghini Miura. Oh, that's I was going to also answer with a Lamborghini, but I was going you to say go a Contach, with... aren't you? you? You're just a teenager. That's you that's a That's a Ferrari, isn't it? Oh, you're embarrassing. Is you're it? Embarrassing. A... <laughs> you're the car you're guy, as we established on the last episode. You're embarrassing. I'm gonna get. You need some a Gallardo, a Morfiolago, perhaps a Diablo. Oh, you can have a Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> this is just Stephen naming Lamborghini models. Now. Yeah. Uh, no, I was. I think it's. It was the uh, the Lamborghini Reventon. Is that what it was called? Oh, well, um, no, no, no. Well, I, forget it. I had a whole story, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel I feel slighted now by your your comment. Do you know what my real answer is? A Jaggy type. Jaggy type. All right. Well, the old the old, I think I think they renamed a car any type recently recently but like the old classic e-type oh i get that all the time beautiful car beautiful car or um, a citron 2cv i don't know what that is i mean i know that i know the, the manufacturer but i don't know what that specific car is you i'm very interested in this arc of learning just how much you know about cars which is far more than i do apparently so well, there you go there you go my big grand um, turismo head but what would you what would you boo off the stage um oh what's that car called um, the Chrysler PT Cruiser, the ugliest car I've met. <laughs> the car that Cody mentioned in his last email. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do believe in Cody's last email. They said the PT Cruiser was their favorite car. So. <laughs> Beautiful PT Cruiser. Um, right, I'll think of a different one then. <laughs> uh, my answer is whatever honda gran turismo gave me to start the game out with oh you don't like that <laughs> no i hate it <laughs> it's so okay. slow i hate this game <laughs> i'm gonna lean into really hating gran turismo i think that's I that's re- what i that's I really my liked, role <laughs> i got really annoyed in, in forza horizon 5 because i wanted to buy a volkswagen up because emma has a volkswagen up and i thought it'd be fun to drive that car and it was just like do you want to buy a supercar i was like no no, I don't want to buy a supercar. It's like, what about yeah, a sports the, car? I'm uh, like, no, I want to buy a Volkswagen up. The standard like retail market cars for uh, for Forza Horizon are not don't have a lot of options, which I'm fine with because I like driving the cool cars that I will no, never own in my I entire life. But St- Stephen wants to drive his car around this. Um, says in, five, in, the one in is that in Mexico or is that a different? Game yeah. Or? Okay. In racing sim and Forza Horizon splits the difference because it is just has a frictionless open world that you can drive for everything off. Um, but there is a there is appeal to me in racing sims of I am used to driving this car, I know how it feels, therefore how does it feel in the video game is really interesting. That's fascinating to me, genuinely. Like for me, racing game, I just want to drive fast and no, I want it to be like burnout. yeah. That's what I'll play an arcade racing game for. But when they've like modelled the cars and how they drive properly, I'm like, oh, then I want to see how that translates across. Huh. Yeah, I have absolutely no interest in that. I don't want to drive my own car in a video game. Yeah, I already I drive my car every day. I hate driving I my car. <laughs> you love driving my car. Um, <laughs> well, that's true. I, I can't drive my car on the Nuremberg Ring. I can't. That's in a different country. I mean, and expensive. yes. But, but I, also I can play Gran drive... Turismo why and then I... I can drive a little Ford Fiesta around the Nuremberg Ring. But why would I want to drive my car at 100 miles an hour around the Nuremberg Ring when I could drive yeah. a Lamborghini around it at 300 miles an hour? That sounds, that sounds boring. More... That's... <laughs> 
I well, see if I'll tell you what's boring is that every time I've tried to play Gran Turismo, because <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> the menus no. are boring. Oh, the menus are great. Shut up. <laughs> Next email. I love that we've just become a Gran Turismo podcast. It's really, mm-hmm. it's, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, an email from Murph. Oh. <clears throat> Believe in the magic of a young girl's heart spoilers. It's Murph. Oh, God. I always... <laughs> Murph's emails are the best. <laughs> uh, I've never seen a magic mic, and honestly, I forget that it's from Steven Soderbergh. I mm. think it's because the first one came out before I really started paying attention to directors. Everything I hear about it just makes me think of 1983 Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, directed mm. by Sylvester Stallone. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch it. It's nothing like Saturday Night Fever, Good. but it does end with a wild dance number called Satan's Alley that's based on Dante's Inferno. What oh. in the world? This sounds great. The video game? The video game where you see uh, Satan's penis or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the, the God of War ripoff from the people that made Dead Space. Um, I digress. Based on early impressions of you, of you two, it seems like you're in disagreement about this end of this, this the end of this trilogy. Jeez, I can't read today. So I'm wondering, what do you think? Do you is know what else you can't read? Movies. Way. <laughs> True. That's why I watch them instead. No, as in like, oh, 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 Vaughn, to read as in to interpret. I'm just saying that your, oh, okay. read of, your read of Magic Mike 3 wasn't very good. Just, you know, can't read a wow. text. I couldn't read your comment either, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and this one, I can't even make the excuse that it's 1am. It's 1pm right now. Mm. Um, so I'm wondering, what do you think is the best end of a trilogy movie, or even a trilogy where the third movie is the best one? So, Stephen, what are your answers? I sent you this one in advance. You did. So um, I so I thought about this a lot. I'm going to save one for the end to see if you get it before I do. Um, okay, there's one that I'm not going to save because I think it's yours. There's a Kiristami one, which I think that you'll take. Absolutely. So, but know that I agree <laughs> with you on that. Okay. That, that I think you are correct. Um, I think the the easiest answer okay. is, I think, the third Indiana Jones is the best Indiana Jones. Okay. And I think that's quite a quite a commonly held opinion. Would you consider that a trilogy, though? There's four and almost five movies now, though. I don't think there are. You're just... Okay, that's... <laughs> okay, sure, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the third one. I mean, but of that trilogy of, of that trilogy of movies, the third one, the third one is... And they it harkens back to the previous two. That, that feel, They feel like a complete work. But it's, okay. it, the um, third one is, it's the best, is the best one. It's been a while. I've been wanting to rewatch those films again. In my mind, I like Raiders the most, so I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that. I do like The Last Crusade a lot, yeah. um, but I don't know if I would agree that it's the best one. I would say Kislovsky's Three Colors Red works the best because it is a conclusion to a trilogy, and it concludes it in clever that. ways that you didn't realize were actually happening to begin with. It, it ties them together as a trilogy very, very cleverly, and it's brilliant. Um, what were you thinking? So I have, I have two answers for kind of both aspects of this question. So first, for as far as the best end of a trilogy movie, um, I would say Before Midnight. Um, I don't think it's the best in the trilogy, but I think it's an absolutely yeah, I would agree. brilliant um, finale to those three films. Um, and then as far as a movie where the third movie is, or a trilogy where the third movie is the best one, um, <clears throat> you are totally correct. Um, my yeah. answer would be the Coker trilogy. And that would be through the olive trees, which is yeah. the easily the best of those three movies for me. I I would agree, and yeah. and, and it. But I also think it works because of the the built up kind of familiarity. Oh, certainly. Of the the way that it works as a trilogy is why that film is brilliant. Um, in a, in a meta conversation with itself. Um, 
I just thought of another one and it slipped my mind because there was another one that's like oh well obviously this and people by people will shout uh, at the thing obviously this um, but my real answer is okay. brain dead brain dead is, is is the best what's the trilogy there the splat the splat stick trilogy so you've got um brain dead <clears throat> sorry you've got um bad taste meet the feebles and brain dead and brain dead is the best of those three films <clears throat> okay i haven't seen meet the feebles i also didn't know that was like even like a loose trilogy um but I do love Brain Dead a lot. I do like it more than Bad Taste, certainly. So it's a it's a it's a thematic trilogy in the same way of um, like Haneke's okay. Isolation trilogy, Glaciation trilogy. Um, which, I can't remember, which is the third one of those? Oh, the, oh, the mm. forget which comes third with him because it's Seventh Continent, and then is it Seventy One fragments so if it is benny's video that's the third one then i'd say that because benny's video is the, is the best of those three movies i really love benny's video but benny's video might not might not be the third one um you've got the antonioni trilogy but Ecclis is the worst of that trilogy so so not those um yeah i like trilogies <laughs> so do i i i uh, didn't have much to say because i have not seen either of those um, trilogies Usually a supporter of, as everyone knows, the weird sequel, and I feel those are usually number twos rather than number threes. I like yeah. number twos a lot. Number threes yeah, yeah, usually was... course correct. Yeah, I was kind of looking through, and I was like, yeah, there's not a lot of great, like threes that I was like really enthusiastic about. Um, which is Return of the but... Return of the King is really wonderful as a close a closing to that trilogy, but I think Fellowship of the Ring is just such a masterpiece. Um, and it's I don't think so it's as good as I've Fellowship of the Ring. Those movies, yeah, I need to watch them again too. Um, a lot of trilogies I need to rewatch apparently. Yeah, um, there you go. But yeah, I thought I thought you were gonna say um, Gamera three. That's yes, that is also a very good answer. Like that's one of that I weirdly don't consider a trilogy because of the Brave, but it's also disconnected um, yeah. from the other two or the other three. Um, but yes, Revenge of Iris is is phenomenal um, and definitely the best of those three movies. I I, I think even if films continue afterwards i think we should still work because i would i would see return of the jedi as, as part of a trilogy yeah i would see no, toy story right. 3 as part of a trilogy and there is a toy story 4 because i still feel that toy story 3 is is, is a tap off to that um feel conceived yeah. as such no you're definitely right i think especially gamera since like gamera the brave is pretty much yeah. entirely disconnected from the the first three movies um although i do also really love the brave um but yeah revenge virus is yeah oh, one of the best yeah. uh, kaiju movies so, and then Murph closes his email with that. Reminds me that I need to watch that re-edit of The Godfather Part 3 and the so re-edit of Rocky 4, which you so uh, do I. talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah. At this point, I'm rambling, so I'll end this email, Murph. Thank you, Murph, for writing in. Probably the uh, re-edit of Rocky 4 takes out the robot, and the robot's the best bit of Rocky 4, so <clears> I don't know why you'd want that. I, yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, I want to go through the Rocky movies myself. I want Paulie to marries a robot in that movie. Paulie marries a robot. Yeah, to me, I mean, just the idea of there being a robot that takes care of his child is just <laughs> great to me. Uh, I don't know why you would want to edit doesn't, that out. No, does doesn't take care of his child. It takes care of weird Uncle Paulie. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> uh, but I like just, that. I don't want that edited out. Just, I just, I, conceptually, gift. I love that. Why not put a weird robot in the movie? That's, that's what the 80s are all about. And for a lot of the movie, I was like, this is just like nationalist trash and weird, just the way it's framing. I mean, be anti-Soviet by all means, but if you're going to be anti-Soviet, then be anti-America at the same time. 
because the reasons you should be anti-Soviet are reasons you should also be anti-America superpower in like Cold War struggles. This is not a a good versus bad thing. This is the, the, there's there's battle of place here, um, and I was like, oh, this movie. And then at the end, um, Rocket gives a speech about how he thinks he solved the Cold War, and I'm like, you know what? You pulled you pulled me back. Where he's just like, from this fight, he's learned that you know he he likes he likes Russia, he likes Russian people, and feels like we don't need to we don't need to have these things. Let's just get together. Well, I'm like, all right. Everything settled. David Hasselhoff did the same thing, though. Do you remember when David Hasselhoff claimed that he ended the Cold War? I don't remember that. Did he actually he, claim that? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh he he played at the concert um, when the Berlin Wall came down, and he he <laughs> maintains <laughs> that he is the reason oh for God. unification. Of course, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Just make outlandish claims. Yeah, yeah, the Cold War. We don't get enough of that now. We just have. Ant-Man says socialism one time in the whole movie and that's apparently have, a statement. I have, I have heard that about that film. I, that <laughs> um, I don't know if we'll talk about that, but maybe. We'll see. Uh, we have a history of doing so. We probably will. Uh, it's true. I don't know if I like that we have a history of talking about every MCU movie, because I've, but we do, so I yeah. can't avoid it now. Um, anyway, final email. Um, once again, from my wife, Maul. Uh, oh. Her email reads, uh, Gimme Movie. so for a little bit of context um i don't think we talked about this on the on the show at all i don't know why we would have but (laughs) but so my wife had had decided when we went through and published all of the tg10 lists yeah um she watched through all of my movies and then she watched through all of steven's movies and then including satin tango which i was genuinely like yeah that's did not expect and her to she watch that, really liked it she did and she loved it yeah uh, and then she watched all of jack's movies and i think she's watched almost all of murph's movies as well yeah um and so now she's just been watching tons of great movies and has been asking for a lot of recommendations for stuff um so that is the the, <laughs> the context behind this um is that she just wants lots of recommendations for movies so uh, I have pulled a few up. I, I prepared a few. Um, Steven's very good at coming up with stuff just on the spot, but she has asked for so many that I don't know if Steven's running out yet. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Wanda. Oh, I don't, I don't even know if I know what that is. The Barbara Loden film from 70s. I watched it quite recently. It's an early... She only directed one film um, and died um, shortly afterwards. Um, it's an early example of if it's the first film written, directed, and written by a woman. Um, oh wow! And and starring, so I think it's like those things together. Right. Um, it's really it's a really really good movie um, of just a film about oppression put on women who don't fit into expected norms and of like social degradation in the background. It turns into a really slick kind of cool crime movie. Um, but it's always just a film about the small place that women are given in society or robbed off them, especially someone that is like disaffected, that doesn't feel maternal, that doesn't feel feminine in the ways that she's expected to be feminine, and how that should be liberating, but that how how that enables the patriarchy to take advantage of her in different ways. Um, and it's really well made, really cool movie. And I'm gonna say that and Working Girls. Watch Working Girls. Um, have you seen Working Girls? No, is that Lizzie Borden? Yeah, Lizzie Borden. I mean, also okay. watch um, Born in Flames as well. But yeah, yeah Lizzie Born in Flames is, is really good. I think Mold liked both these movies a lot. Um, 
I think she's really like working girls a really really good look uh, at sex work and actually maybe girlfriends as well have you seen girlfriends no I haven't I think I, uh, I think I put it on my watch list not too long ago so it's on my radar but I have not seen it yet I know so it's I know she watched Francis Hart recently um, and this is kind of like just people hanging out doing stuff in that kind of ilk cool. but it's a very different movie and people that would be like how dare you link the two um, <laughs> just photographer roommate hanging out very much again about women in society suffocating norms um but a a relationship film i think there's some some stuff in there about like queerness that isn't great um but it's a it's a really cool film and then i'd say um, guinea pig too far of fresh blood <laughs> i'm just gonna we're just gonna i'm just gonna move past that because that's that's too much to explain um i i pulled up a few it's recommendations great. here um of movies that i like a lot um so the first one that i was going to recommend was mabarosi um from Hirokazu koreda yeah um, awesome. i i think in general she will like koreda a lot um who's just yeah. such a phenomenal director but i think mabarosi is a really great one to start with but yeah he's yeah, just and if she hasn't seen shoplifters i think shoplifters is the eternal like great entry point oh, yeah. for koreda um yeah that was also on my list of of movies to to show her at some point but yeah um Kareda is such a fascinating director I think mm-hmm. just like his his style is so interesting to me because like his films are so like genuinely like serious and like resonant and really beautiful and humanist but they're also like and and very often like heartbreaking but mm-hmm. they're also like very like affirming like warm hugs of films it's just like this just such an interesting thing where like he makes these sort of yeah i don't know how to, i'm i'm losing my train of thought and like trying to figure out how to phrase it but yeah they're just like i love the way he, that he uh puts films together um yeah also going to recommend um ritual uh anno's ritual um oh okay yeah yeah good movie i can't do you do you like ritual i do i do have a yeah. yeah ritual is really really fantastic film um bit more like on the like bleak side i mean it's a very like real look at depression um but it's also very beautiful and resonant i think um and then since you have been talking a lot she's been watching a lot of varda or getting into yeah. Varda, and then um she discovered that uh varda was married to Demi and was very excited oh, yeah. about that <laughs> um so i will recommend um some more Demi movies um i will recommend uh, that you start with Lola, which is a, a mm. to me would be that I really like, um, and then hopefully we'll get through more of those. Um, but those are my three that I put together. Yeah, for and, now. and if she wants to do more Vardas, I think the two that she'll really, really like is one Vagabond. I can't imagine her not loving Vagabond. Um, seems like a very her movie from the, the little of her taste that I know. Obviously, I don't know particularly. Um, and then I would say The Gleaners and I is just, just phenomenal, and I can't imagine not liking the movie because it's just so damn good two movies that i need to watch as well i oh, really oh the, the, yeah yeah they have two yeah no two i top to... really need to uh, watch more of varda um mm. so those are all of our emails for this week thank you everyone for writing in as always if you have a comment or a question want to say hi literally anything we will read mm. it and talk to you um we'll spend as much time as you want um on your email we just spent like 20 minutes talking about my wife so um send us an email thinking of spoiling yeah. at gmail.com Please send in your Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris takes. Send in your Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris takes. Send us your Gran Turismo stories. Yeah. Um, if you have them. Yeah. Um, 
So, Stephen, it's my yes. favorite part of every episode. Yeah, where yeah. I ask no, you if you have a I'm recommendation ready. ready. You do, do have a recommendation I ready. Do. It's amazing. I do. I do. <laughs> I I was struggling for a while because of people that follow me in Letterboxd, I've been in a bit of a rut of just like... <laughs> okay films yeah um i don't even know why i just i don't know Some, sometimes i just want to have watched a bunch of stuff so you're like yeah, i should watch fair. this and i feel that you can't just watch great stuff all the time so sometimes i'm like you know what i'm gonna watch a bunch of freestyle movies for a long time and I, that, that's its own satisfaction also i'm in the oscars catch-up but um, yeah. and wider oscar thing um so previously i was going to recommend oceans 12 because i'm going to rewatch that that turns out it's brilliant but do watch oceans 12 because it is the Soderbergh reply movie that if you like a Soderbergh reply movie, oh, wonderful! <laughs> just just makes a makes a hangout movie that does a heist at the expense of the audience. <laughs> like the con is on the audience that movie. Oh, what, what a great film! Um, and then I was going to recommend um, Murnau's The Last Laugh because I just watched that. But I'm going to talk about that on another podcast. I'm going to talk about that on Ashes to Classics, the silent movie podcast um, about restored plug and plug for other podcasts film, too, um, which I think even if you are a Vaughn of the World and silent movies are not, not your thing but you're not as versed oh, okay. in it I generally would say a really good podcast to listen to because I learn a lot every episode and I feel that it is a very good kind of like historicised lens at so we've I would I mean start at the beginning obviously um, but even if you started with a recent episode the From Morn to Midnight episode has an introduction to German Expressionism which both okay. I and David know a lot about and speak out at length so I think people will find that quite quite satisfying in terms of just learn more about film um, so Last Laugh we'll be talking about it then it's, it's a wonderful film but I'm going to recommend a four minute film from 1907 alright well, and I, you should watch this after this because it's absolutely brilliant I presume I you are passingly familiar with Alice Guiblache I presume is how it's pronounced um, I don't know that. I mean maybe if you dive further in I'm not sure off the top of my head so one of the early important makers of film um, just she's just awesome she did that film the trouble with feminism um and then she was the director of the first film of an all-black cast as well um a former's money um she is just absolutely iconic figure of early film um back when women somewhat dominated early film um, which is worth reading about before it became seen as a business and before the androcentric belief that only men could do business kicked the women out of the business because it was believed that men could make money and women could not and so therefore women got pushed into more strictly feminine roles when it was seen more of a dalliance more of like a creative thing um it was surprisingly female dominated but alice guibache is just one of the the most notable and best early filmmakers and this short film is called course a los sosis the race for the sausage which is a four minute short film about a dog that chases a sausage through the town sounds fantastic it's 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 incredible actually it is the earliest example i can think of of the escalating dare i say katamari-esque action scene of just and it's got like people falling over it's got like carts getting away so the dog starts running and then its lead trips off things it's just this escalating comedic chaos yeah i i I don't think you have seen. Um, oh god, what's the movie called? What's up, Doc? Um, but no, it is not. has that kind of like that okay. slapstick brilliance of like what's up, Doc, and what what that is riffing on of just like brilliant hijinks, silent comedy, prattful, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's from goddamn nineteen oh seven. It's four minutes long. I can't imagine not loving this. When we finish this call, we should watch straight away. Four minutes cool. long. I think you'd love it. The race for the sausage, or course a la sausage. Um, early film rules right to that sausage after this <laughs> and an amazing oh. final shot the final shot is great it just it's 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 
all chaos, but it's so immaculately captured and ordered right. chaos. Um, and it just I love that. you still see that trope and that joke structure in movies. And I'm like, ah, this is probably the first one. And it's so good. Nice. Cool. I will absolutely go and check that out mm. right after this. And I hope that yeah. everyone listening goes to Four Minutes. Four season. Minutes on YouTube. You can watch it. Bam. Awesome. Um, I'm going to recommend something completely different that is not four minutes long. Um, oh. But oh. Well, <laughs> did you want me to recommend something that's four well, minutes I'm, long? Well, I'm, I'm not going to watch it directly afterwards. <laughs> well, no, that's true. I, I wasn't expecting you to. Um so I, I'll go back in time a little bit to an earlier episode of this podcast when I recommended Rikio, the story of Ricky, mm. which is a phenomenal film that I really, mm. really love. And I feel like since then, I've kind of been chasing the high of Rikio. I've been mm. wanting to find something that, that hits that. kind of the scratches the same itch because that movie is just like so unique and cool. Um, and it's a good movie. It's also just the, yeah, utterly fantastic. Movies. Um, fast forward to recently, um, so I wanted to, I'm kind of taking a couple of divergences to arrive at the point here, but that's fine, it's my podcast. Um, I'm just thinking I, that there was a Wanted 2, I saw Wanted 1, was there a Wanted 2? I don't, I don't think so, um, don't believe so. Mm. Um, Let's make it. <laughs> but, um, I wanted to get the, um, recent release, um, from Vinegar Syndrome of the 4K, um, From Beyond, which is a movie I really, really love. Um, love From Beyond. Um, Stuart Gordon's From Beyond. So I bought that, but I was like, while I'm here um, buying things on Vinegar Syndrome, I am going to get some other things. And our friend Kodiak convinced me because they'll add free shipping. And I was like, sure, I'll just buy a bunch of movies. Um, and looking through their, their catalog, I stumbled across this Hong Kong film from Ringo Lam called Burning Paradise. And I was like, sure, I will buy Burning Paradise. And I didn't really know anything about it, but it seemed cool. Jack had given it uh, four stars, and I was like, that's good enough for me. <laughs> um, so bought Burning Paradise, and I watched it last night, and it absolutely rules. It is so cool. It totally scratches that Rikio itch for me. Um, I think very, very similar in a lot of ways. It is about um, the... It starts with the burning of the Shaolin Temple um, by the Chinese Empire, and these two Shaolin monks escape, and then eventually are, are captured and taken to this, I think it's called the Temple of the Red Lotus, is kind of this... Not to a chamber? They love their chambers. <laughs> um, it's kind of like this hellish like prison temple that they are held in, um, and it's like there's like the evil warden character um, who is in charge of it. And it is just very similar to Rikio in the way that it is just like these two main characters that have to come together and kind of try to fight their way out and escape the prison and free all of the other monks that are imprisoned there. And it is just like phenomenal and there is fantastic action and great like gore in there in like the first two minutes of the movie a horse gets his head cut off by like a flying guillotine <laughs> weapon and i was like oh i'm in this is <laughs> this is fantastic um yeah just an absolute blast um everything's on fire the whole time okay what a movie that, that pissed me that pissed me oh yeah it's great highly recommend okay. uh, burning paradise from ringo lamb burning paradise 
And for those interested, there's an article here from 2011 saying that the Wanted 2 sequel is finally going to come out. That was in 2011, and it seems that... Uh, <laughs> They're still did. working on it. Yeah, they said that it's making progress in 2011. So, um, Well, maybe they wanted to do it practically, and they're still trying to figure <laughs> out how to curve bullets in real life. <laughs> <laughs> they really want that keyboard to fly off and spell out more words. It's just hard to do. Oh, God. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, welcome to the Wanted podcast. We talk about the movie Wanted in Gran Turismo. Yes, that's uh, that's what we're going to be now. We're the Gran Turismo and Wanted podcast. Yeah. Oh, and Talk about a, I, I also recommend Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which is actually a pretty good movie. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which is clearly... You should watch uh, it. It's pretty it's good. It's going to be high up on the list of our our, our next year's ranking. It's going to be it Mrs. Harris to be, Goes to Paris. Does it need to be two hours long? No. Oh, that sounds very long. No, okay. It's not quite two hours long. It's 150 minutes, but it doesn't need to be that. But when you've got two of the best actors of all time in your movie it's going to be good um, for a second i thought you said 150 minutes and i was like steven that's not less than two hours long and then i realized you said 115 and yeah. i was like okay that's barely do you, under, do, you know, but... do you know who's in do you know who's in this bad boy you got who's leslie you got leslie manville that's kind of fun because you're like is this like a phantom friend prequel is this what got her hooked on that haute couture is this you know is it is it no it's not this, i don't do you think it crossed anybody else's mind watching mrs harris goes to paris if it was a phantom thread prequel i didn't know how the times and then when they wouldn't even work as as prequel and sequel because then you know but it's fun seeing her in a fashion movie and also i want you to i want you to dive into this further can you come back next week with more research on phantom yeah. thread and mrs harris goes to paris also isabel Huppert's in this movie in this movie oh that's crazy i like yeah. when she just shows up in things like eo yeah oh i'm gonna watch it this week so i'm pretty excited Ooh. about that yeah she shows up in eo yeah. why not ah. oh yeah she's great it's really bad so you got two of the best actors <clears throat> just of acting just in this eh, movie elevating it elevating it the whole way through there you go mrs <laughs> why are we recommending mrs harris goes to paris because it's good <laughs> Oh boy, Stephen, what's going on in the stacks? What do you have to plug this week? Well, March Night Shyamalan is going to come around. Um, and it's going to be very enjoyable. Looking forward to that. Um, I don't know what we got up at the moment. Bunch of Kung Fu stuff. Oh yeah, we we watched three Bruce Bloitation movies, um, which I will say worth listening to without even watching them because Jack takes me for a tour of so these three movies. One of them, one of them is Soul Brothers of Kung Fu, um, which is what if movies three different movies. Um, one of them is The Dragon Lives Again, which is a movie about Bruce Lee in the afterlife fighting people like Emmanuel, um, Dracula. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> the list keeps on going. Exorcist, etc., etc., etc. Just people from different movies they don't have the rights to, but it doesn't really matter because, hey, it's Bruce Lee fighting them in the afterlife. And then um, Bruce Lee and the Iron Finger which is like a pseudo like giallo kind of like detective story it's not great but it's an interesting genre jack teaches about it it's worth listening to so yeah find the stacks and if you want to hear fresh takes on movies um including the ones when this episode so we get it early 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 then stacks no patreon.com slash stacks on film there you go uh you got doing anything on the site upcoming soon or um, I don't know, actually. I will have published um, maybe the top, the listener and reader oh, yeah. voted top ten, which I need to do some number crunching on more. And I got ill and it was hard to do, so I need to crunch some more numbers. Um, and I'll be on a Daydreamcast thing. 
Ooh. Ranking Sounds... all those Assassin's Creed games. Oh, nice. Yeah. Sounds fun. Murph and I doing a tier list. Murph of the Manchester Podcast Lost. Murph. <laughs> um, I don't have any podcasts or anything to plug, but I've got um, reviewing a very cool um, movie called The Outwaters um, that I watched recently. Cool. Um, and you know it's good because it's found footage and I liked it. Um, oh, wow. Going to do Scream 6, which will be next month. And God, that, 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 might be... that came up very quickly. Yeah, I know. It did come up very quickly. I thought we agreed we were calling it Scream Vivo. Scream V, yeah, there you go. <laughs> five Korean and Scream V, five Korean and Scream V. If they're going to stylize their movie title stupidly, then we yeah, it's becoming like the stupidly. Fast and the Furious, where like just none of the titles make any sense together, which is always fun. Hmm. Um, so there you go. That is everything this week, Stephen. Anything else? No. Well then, we'll be back in two weeks. But for now, I'm thinking of ending this podcast. Get out. Perfect. Lovely, lovely. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Cast. <laughs> <laughs>